This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Coming up top of the hour, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN for a little uh, MVSW Redux. We do it every Wednesday here around this program. And one of the other things around this program that we've done pretty much all season long, like if you look at, because the show is sort of national in scope, um, we don't just do it for one single market. Uh, we do it for the entire NHL. But if you look at the amount of airtime, well, first of all, early on this season, was a lot of it was about the Vancouver Canucks, and it felt like the Canucks hour. But at a certain point, green turned orange, and we went from Vancouver uh, to talking a lot about the Philadelphia Flyers. It is for someone who hosts a sports talk radio program revolving around hockey. A gift, as we say, the Philadelphia Flyers have been a gift. And another chapter written last night with Tony D'Angelo and Corey Perry. Uh, with more comments and analysis, the great Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic, who covers the Philadelphia Flyers. Charlie, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, listen, um, I don't even know where to begin with the Philadelphia Flyers. So we'll just begin with the most recent. And, and like, it's, it's true, right? Um, I sort of frame it this way, what we saw last night. If I'm a Flyers fan, I'm saying, you see that stack of grievances over in the corner there, that big, tall, this big, huge stack of problems that we've had. Take the Tony D'Angelo incident and just put it over there. We'll get to it eventually. You know, I'm watching this game last night, and I'm seeing D'Angelo. I'm thinking to myself, now this? Like, what else can go sideways for the Philadelphia Flyers at this point? What did What did you think when you saw that last night, Charlie? Well, I mean, I was there. I was at the arena. I'm, I'm on this trip. And, uh, you know, you just saw D'Angelo get absolutely attacked by the entire Lightning team, basically. And <laughs> it was hard to tell exactly what had happened. And then you look at the replay, yeah. and, like, it wasn't even – it was so obvious. It was glaringly obvious what had happened and what, what he had done. And, uh, you know, you didn't even need to really wait for them to decide whether it was going to be a major or not. It was very clearly going to be a major – uh, I guess give Tony D'Angelo credit after the game. You know, we obviously requested him in the locker room and he came out and talked and he basically, his explanation was, and I can't imagine this is an explanation that the, the department of player safety is going to love was essentially that I did not mean to spear him there, but I absolutely meant to spear him. And then he went on like a 30 second rant about basically how much of a punk Corey Perry is, which I mean, as a media member yeah. was amazing, um, but I can't imagine that, uh, that uh, DOPS is going to love that too much. Oh no. Like I I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to roll around in this catnip on the show today. Like this is, this is fan, This is fantastic stuff. Like just let, let them talk. Like it, it's, it's pretty, one of the, the, the takeaways that I think a lot of people had last night is like, what do you have to do to make Corey Perry a sympathetic character? Like in the NHL, <laughs> given, you know, the history of Corey Perry, like we're, I, I, I get that, you know, like we're, we're kind of feeling sorry for Corey Perry until you remember, oh, wait a minute, it's Corey Perry here, but it's still a heinous act. You know what I mean? Like, if it were anybody else, like, that's the thing that I wonder about. If it were, I don't know, pick a player, Cam York, you know, <laughs> that, that did this and not yeah. Tony D'Angelo. If this was a Travis Sanheim that did this and not Tony D'Angelo, what would the reaction be? But having said that, I don't think either of those two defensemen would cobble together a response the likes of which we heard from Tony D'Angelo last night. You know what I mean, Charlie? 
Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, this was an incident that could only have been done in, like, at least from a Flyers perspective, by Tony D'Angelo. I don't think any of the other players. I mean, maybe they would have, you know, slashed him across the legs or something. Yeah. But I, I don't think that anyone would have would have done quite that. And you know, whether D'Angelo <laughs> meant to meant to spear him there or he was telling the truth and he meant to, you know, merely spear him in the stomach, only Tony D'Angelo knows that. But you know, one thing that that did yeah. come, I did come away from the game that I found fascinating that, you know, it's related to the D'Angelo incident, but it's not exactly that, is that, you know, the big story coming out of that game from a Flyers perspective before D'Angelo did what he did was that John Tortorella had benched both Travis Sanheim and Joel Farabee for the entirety of the second period after both uh, took bad penalties at the end of the first. Um, Farabee had taken two. Sanheim had had a particularly awful shift uh, that ended with him taking a penalty. They didn't appear at all in the second period. He then played them again in the third. And we asked Tortorella about it after the game, and he basically said that he doesn't even know where to begin with with, with those guys. Um, then we asked, you know, why were they out in the third? He said, well, I wanted to give them a chance kind of to, to prove themselves. And then his response as to whether they did was, well, I'll look at the tape. Um, but the the connection with D'Angelo was essentially, then obviously he was asked about D'Angelo, and basically what Tortorella said is that, you know, maybe – D'Angelo went over the line. I'll need to watch the video, but you know, I love his competitiveness, and I wish you know the guys I sat maybe had a little bit more of that competitiveness. So, you know, it was it was a very John Tortorella answer, and you know, it's it's a it's wild times mm-hmm. of Philadelphia when you know John Tortorella is like, yeah, you know, I, I wish you know Joel Farabee and Travis Sanai maybe maybe had a little bit of that like spear someone in the nether regions type of attitude that Tony D'Angelo has. <laughs> Let me let me ask you about this too. Let me pivot away from Tony D'Angelo. I don't want to make our entire conversation about D'Angelo. He's he's having a hearing. He's getting suspended. Like this one, you know, this is you, you see this one, you know, walking out the door and walking around the corner. Um, Joel Farabee and Travis Sanheim. Um, for Farabee, that's a really tough surgery. Um, yeah. And I, I think that you know, safe to say, he, he probably. I mean, what do you say? Like the player says he's good to go. You want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, you see as the season has gone on, the performance hasn't been there. And you have to say to yourself, I just wonder if this is, you know, a, a, a symptom of the surgery that he had. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Get a good summer of training under your belt, you know, get some time in the gym, get the strength up. And I fully expect to see a different Joel Farabee next season. Travis Sanheim, I have no explanation. I have no explanation to what happened to Travis Sanheim this season other than, you know, it's it's just one of those years. And I think if if there's a, a if there are Flyers fans who wondered about those two and maybe more specifically Sanheim than Farabee, you know, why you know, maybe there wasn't more interest in them or why perhaps the Philadelphia Flyers and Chuck Fletcher didn't move them. You know, I always came back with like, well, why would you trade them at their lowest point? Like, if I'm another team out there, I'm looking at Sandheim specifically and saying, okay, I don't believe that this defenseman is as bad as he's been this season. And make no mistake about it, he's been real bad this season. But there's yep. a much better defenseman in there. We've seen it before. Maybe I can steal him from the Philadelphia Flyers. If I'm the Philadelphia Flyers, I'm saying, not a chance. We're not going to make a pennies on the dollar trade here for Travis Sanheim. How do you see those two this season? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm more or less on board with, with your line of thinking. With Farabee, I do believe it's almost entirely the surgery, not because he's he's playing injured, but just because, you know, this is a guy in Joel Farabee who never, you know, he always was going to have to bulk up more, even setting aside the surgery. He's he's a yeah. string bean, and he knows it. it yep. it's, it's abundantly clear. You just take a look at the guy. This was, last year offseason was going to be a really big offseason for him in terms of, of gaining strength. And instead, not only could he not gain strength, he couldn't really do anything because he was pretty much, you know, the whole reason why he had the neck injury was he was lifting a little bit and felt a twinge and then had to get the surgery. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is just that he's worn down. He didn't really get the chance to to build up his, you know, his, his core, his strength going into the season. And it's a long season. The NHL season is pretty, pretty demanding. And I think he's just worn down. I think he'll be better next year. And I think Tortorella will ultimately come around on Farabee as a player. I think he plays when he's physically able, he plays a style that Tortorella will appreciate. So I think Farabee in the end will be fine. I don't think the Flyers have any interest at all in trading Joel Farabee. I don't even think it's a sell low situation. I think it's a, we think Joel Farabee is part of our core. He's young enough to be part of this timeline. So we're not trading him period. Now Sandheim is fascinating because here's the thing with Sandheim. Sanheim was a pending was going to be a pending UFA this summer. Chuck Fletcher yep. signed him to an eight-year extension, basically a year early, on the very first day of the regular season this year, before having any idea whether Sanheim was going to click with John Tortorella. And I think what you're seeing right now is I don't think those two are clicking. And it kind of makes sense. Like I'm a big Travis Sanheim fan. He's had, objectively speaking, a really bad year, but I've always yep. been a big Travis Sanheim fan. But Travis Sanheim, from a personality standpoint, he's not fiery. He's not, you know, he doesn't have that 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 John Tortorella attitude. Like Tony D'Angelo has that John Tortorella attitude. Travis Sanheim yep. is is more of a you know a laid back type of guy. You know, his detractors will call him soft. I don't think that's a fair uh, a fair word to use for him. But the people who don't like his game, they call him that because he's not the most physical. He's a little bit more of a finesse guy. And the thing that's always been able to to save him is that good things happen when he's on the ice. You know, he does a lot of little things right. He's really good carrying the puck. He's a good top four defenseman. Well, this year, the numbers have tanked, so he's not doing what was making him good in the first place. And then you go to Tortorella, and Tortorella's like, I don't love this guy's attitude. This this doesn't fit with the attitude that I want my guys to have. So now he's got a guy who signed for eight more years, a contract that doesn't even kick yeah. in until next year. And I don't know if Tortorella knows what he's going to do with him. So it's a fascinating situation because you talk about selling low. I mean – yeah, I think there are quite a few teams around the league that think quite highly of Travis Sanheim. I 100% believe that. An oh, eight-year yeah. contract is a, is a long-term. Like, I don't know who is trading for him. So this is a situation where, like, Tortorella and Sanheim may just have to figure this out because, you know, he's got a $6.25 million cap hit going into his mid-30s. I don't know how you trade that deal, and it was just – it was a mistake, I think, on – you know, on Chuck Fletcher's part to sign him to that big of a deal that early before knowing whether Sanheim was going yeah. to mesh with Tortorella. Because the fact of the matter is, is that, as I said, their personalities, you know, just logically, you're going to wonder if that's going to work. And Sanheim struggled, and I don't think their personalities are working, at least so far. You know who I think of? 
I'll, I'll tell you what, as, as I'm hearing you talk about Sandheim and, and Tortorella, and there's a, there's a few players that um, have had interesting relationships with them. Um, and surprisingly enough, like we all wondered about Owen Tippett, whether he was going to be able to exist with like, you know, with, you know, with, with, uh, with John Tortorella. And that's been great. Like that's been, I think one of the big, yeah. one of the bigger surprises here. Um, you know who I think of when I think of this relationship between Travis Sandheim and John Tortorella? I think of the relationship that, and I, albeit different players, different positions, different eras, but not too dissimilar to the situation that John Tortorella found himself in when he was coaching in Tampa with Vincent LeCavalier. And there was about zero, zero seeing eye to eye with those two people. There was zero love lost between those two people. Like that was, oof, I can, I can still recall covering it. Like that was bad. And it was one of those situations where, you know, it became obvious that Tortorella wasn't going to be fired and LeCavalier wasn't going to get traded. And it was up to those two to figure it out. Next thing you know, they're getting fitted for Stanley Cup rings. Now, I'm not <laughs> saying that the Philadelphia Flyers are close to getting fitted for Stanley Cup rings if John Tortorella right. and Travis Sanheim figure this thing out. But it's not as if, you know, this is virgin territory for John Tortorella. He's been there with players before, right, Charlie? No, I'm, I'm sure that they can find a way to coexist. And and the elephant in the room here is that Sanheim is not playing well. Like, that is, it's an objective fact. Yeah. This isn't like, this isn't a situation where, you know, Sanheim is playing fine and John Tortorella just doesn't like him because he doesn't have enough fire in the belly. Like, Sanheim is playing very poorly. I think Travis Sanheim would even admit that. The question is, is whether Tortorella is the right guy to get him playing the way he's played in the past. That, to me, is the question. And obviously, you know, I, I understand the comparison. Vincent LeCavalier is also a much better, and at that point was a much better player than Travis Sanheim <laughs> is and probably ever yes. will be. So there, there's a difference there. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see if they can if they can figure this out. I do think that it was not it did not help, and I don't know if, if this is a story that that, that you you followed, but when Sanheim was scratched in Calgary uh, a couple weeks ago, yeah. when his uh, his family and friends were at the game and Tortorella scratched him. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, if there's already a little bit of tension there, that's going to amp that up into overdrive. And I think they yeah. kind of were able to put it off to the side for, for a week or so. And then this thing may have just boiled it all right back up to the surface. So, yeah, I mean, look, and I understand it. If, if I'm Travis Sanheim, I'm ticked off about that. You know, and not to say he didn't deserve to be scratched. He was terrible the game before in Vancouver. But there's something about, you know, when your family and friends are in the arena expecting to see you. It's where you play your junior hockey. And then your coach sends you yep. a text a couple hours before the game and says, you're not playing. If you want to skate in warm-ups, you're welcome to, but you're not in the lineup. Like, that's, that's not exactly something that helps to foster a positive relationship between coach and player. No, that's uh, that that makes it frosty. So I, I've got about sixty seconds here with you, Charlie. Um, I'm a, of the belief, and I know Flyers fans think that it's taking too long, but that change is coming in this organization. Uh, we'll see about hockey operations, but certainly change is coming on the ice as well. I wonder how deep the changes go, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is significant. Uh, are you on that page or a different page? No, I think it's it's getting to that point. You know, I, I know that for a long time, ownership has kind of been hoping that this would fix itself. 
this does not look like it's fixing itself. Um, and and I think yeah. there's yeah. there's an understanding that you know if you're going to make changes, that it can't just be it can't just be for example firing Chuck Fletcher. Like I mean, if they make changes, don't get me wrong, Chuck Fletcher will go. You know that that has to be done if you're going to make changes. But I don't think this can stop with just a GM change. This is something where they have to really take a good hard look and decide how they actually want their organization structured and, you know, who the president's going to be, who the GM's going to be, what's the relationship going to be there, who's going to be around those guys, who has a voice in the room. You know, if Comcast Spectacle really wants to fix this, they need to decide what kind of organization they really want to build and then go about building it. This isn't something where you get rid of one guy and it's fixed. Yeah, and and how many hands are on the wheel when when decisions get made? Excellent point, Charlie. Um, this has been great. Um, I, I know it's like a, a dark time in Philadelphia, and you hate to spend a lot of time talking about a a dark cloud and negative situation. But the Philadelphia Flyers may be the most fascinating team right now uh, in the NHL. Certainly, when you weigh you know the history of this organization and the Ed Snyder era and the expectations for Flyers fans and articulating rage and anger and all of it culminating you know, in that horrible situation where Rangers fans invaded, like it's just been one of those years. They can't get to the finish line quick enough. Charlie, thanks so much for stopping by as always. You're great. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jeff. There he is. Charlie O'Connor covers the Flyers for the Athletic. We got a hustle up against it from ESPN. Greg Wyshynski in moments, MVSW Redux. We're talking Brad Marchand Q and a in moments. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptors Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. What do we have here for time? Oof, we're getting tight. Okay, Maddie Marchese, it is time for the uh, random player du jour, the random player. Of the day, uh, to nominate yours, jmshow at sportsnet.ca. Player comes through your mind, dash it to me ASAP, and uh, we'll do some bio styles here with you. Uh, Maddie, what do we have today? We have a former Flame, Red Wing, Oiler, Senator, Flyer, Canadian, and former WHL head coach and longtime NHL <laughs> assistant. That would be Mark Lamb, submitted by George Galloway. Former Tiger, former Bighorn, former Islander. I'm thinking my Western Hockey League teams that he played for. Um, Mark Lamb, the Lamb Chop, who is currently the uh, coach and general manager of the Prince George Cougars of the Western Hockey League. Um, played at the beefy size of 5'9", 165, and did so uh, through the late 80s and the early 90s when the NHL was very much the land of the Giants. Um, played 403 games in an era where the magic number was 400. Do you know why 400 was the magic number in Mark Lamb's era in the NHL, Maddie? Do you know why 400 was special? No, I don't. That's when you qualified for your full pension. That's why you'd always have guys like, oh, I gotta get the four, oh, I gotta get the four hundred. Oh, I'm getting close to four hundred. Gotta string it out. Gotta get full pension. Gotta get to four hundred. So he played with the uh, the Billings Bighorns of the uh, Western Hockey League, uh, drafted in 1982. That was a year that he was, Lamb was uh, drafted in the fourth round. 
That year, another member of the Billings Bighorns was drafted first overall. And man, if they had, you know, uh, knee surgery, the likes of which they have now, and, you know, medical assistance and, uh, and, and, and help the way they do now, he probably would have had a storied career. Gord Kluzak, big defenseman, drafted first overall by the Boston Bruins that year in 1982. Um, he played 22 games with the, uh, with the, uh, with, uh, sorry, he played one game with Calgary, 22 games with the Wings, and then five years with the Oilers, was in the, uh, won a Stanley Cup in 1990 with Edmonton, and was in one of the most violent seven-game series I ever saw, and that is the Flames and Oilers in 1991, and that game seven was one for the ages. The Flames go up three nothing, and then Edmonton starts to uh, to claw their way back. Lamb, I think, had an assist on a on an Essa Tikkanen goal in the in the uh, uh, in in that game. Five to four was the final score. Um, he played both as a forward and a D. As a matter of fact, when he was trying to make the Calgary Flames, Maddie, he went to four different training camps, two of them as a defenseman and two of them as a forward. That's how desperate he was uh, to try to make the Calgary Flames. And here's my, here's my favorite story about Mark Lamb. And some might say winning a Stanley Cup is the favorite story because, hey, man, good for you. You, you won the Stanley Cup, and that's what uh, young kids dream about. When he played for the Nanaimo Islanders, um, playing junior hockey in the Western Hockey League, there was a coaching change. Now, all the players... Loved Les Calder. Loved him, loved him, loved him. Coaching change and Rael Turcotte comes in. I'm going to get the Turcotte here in a second. Um, and there was a there was a mutiny, including uh, the captain of the team, who was Bob Rouse, refused to play, demanded a trade. He was traded almost immediately. Mark Lamb also refused to play for anyone other than Les Calder and wouldn't play for Rael Turcotte. Turcotte, by the way, is the grandfather of Alex Turcotte, former first-round pick and prospect now, of course, for the Los Angeles Kings, uh, the father of Alfie uh, Turcotte. So Rael Turcotte is the coach. Lamb refused, uh, demanded a trade. They finally accommodated Mark Lamb and traded him to the, and I really hope Kelly Rudy is listening because he loves it when I mention the Medicine Hat Tigers, the Medicine Hat Tigers of the Western Hockey League, do you know who he was traded for, Maddie? I love this one. I love this junior hockey trade for a couple of reasons that you'll get in a second. Do you have any idea who he was I'm, traded for? I'm looking through those rosters right now, and there's gotta be there's gotta be someone. I'm looking to think about your history and guys that you like, and I'm looking through the roster and I can't find it. Wait. Yeah. No, I can't find it. So Daryl Ray. Uh, who played a number of games in the uh, in the NHL? Netminder, now of course broadcaster with the Dallas Stars, would have played for the Edmonton Oilers and the Hartford Whalers as well. And the other player in the deal, Glenn Kulka. Do you know that name, Maddie? Glenn Kulka. It sounds really familiar. Like didn't have a big Glenn career, Kulka. But obviously, a I story love. About I, it. I, I, <laughs> I love this one. So he goes from Medicine Hat to Nanaimo in the Mark Lamb trade. Glenn Kulka, people might recall, if you're a CFL fan, he was a good hockey player and also a, a good football player. He played in the CFL for Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal, uh, Saskatchewan, and finished up in Ottawa 
and then became a pro wrestler and was signed by the then WWF slash WWE. I think he worked for, I think he would have worked for Vince for maybe a couple of years, broke his leg in a match with Don Callis and had a long time recovering and the, the pro wrestling career fizzled out. But how many players that played in the NHL can claim they were traded in junior for a professional wrestler? Mark Lamb is that guy. Traded for Glenn Kalka. Medicine Hat and Nanaimo trade. Is that obscure enough for you for this segment? Uh, this is this was the perfect <laughs> Jeff goes way down the rabbit hole player where we get a Glenn Love Kalka, it. former WWF wrestler. Oh my goodness. Th- yeah, this man. may be the ultimate. This may be this may be your best work, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm very proud of myself. And as I always mention, <sighs> Knowing this much stuff about hockey kept me single for a lot of years, Maddie. It kept me single for a lot of years. God bless my wife, Claire, for putting up with this um, level of nonsense. Um, hey, speaking of levels of nonsense, you have a thought on uh, what we saw Tony D'Angelo do last night to Corey Perry? Oh, by the way, I got a text from someone, um, a former NHLer, who texted me this about the, uh, the Tony D'Angelo situation, uh, as I was mentioning it off the top. He sends me this. Perry blows the zone, Sergachev turns it over, and Perry slashes Tony D on the wrist or thumb as the whistle blows too, then slinks off and hides. LOL. Everybody sees things differently, Maddie. Everybody's do you have a quick thought on it as we uh, as we wrap up the program here? Yeah, I could if you listen back to the clip, I can't believe how much Tony D'Angelo A sounds like uh Donald Trump and B. Uh, acts like he's the biggest heavyweight in the league saying he would, doesn't back down from anybody. That, to me, was amazing. And thank you very much, Tony D'Angelo. And thanks to everyone who took part in the show today, including Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic, uh, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts, uh, who kicks off the program each and every day here. Uh, Jen Rolnick, love you. Lance Kennedy, ditto. And Matt Marchese, producer slash fill-in host. Uh, Merrick Show returns tomorrow across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Have a great rest of your day.